The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Center in uh, Guild Center, and I saw some Sri Lankans here. Nice to see Sri Lankans, and uh, uh, because uh, uh, there was a time in this Dhamma, you know, this Buddha. All of you know about the Buddha spoke the Dhamma, and the Dhamma is the teaching. And there was a period in this world there was no Dhamma, and it was only protected in Sri Lanka because it's in the, it was an island. And from that, it went to all these other countries and then came back. And so, uh, so uh, Sri Lankans uh, have been from time immemorial. They like to uphold the Dhamma, protect the Dhamma, and preserve the Dhamma. So it's nice to see Sri Lankans here. Okay? So... <coughs> um, Are there any new people to practice, or have we all practiced before meditation? New? Okay, two, three, four. The majority of you have practiced before. Okay. So, I like to talk today something like uh, I don't really have topics when I talk, uh, but I like to, I just thought a few points to talk today. I'd like to first talk about uh, we hear so much of Dhamma, but how to hold the Dhamma, how to see the Dhamma, how to see the meditation, the practice. It's very important to know this. Um, And uh, if we do not know this, uh, how to hold something, we can even crush it, no? And you don't know how to hold it. So, I like to talk uh, about this by giving some uh, examples from my life. When I was a little boy, uh, in seventies, I started. I grew up with meditation. Our household was a meditation household. So, in early seventies, it was quite different to today. What we have. Uh, meditation, very famous today, with a lot of books. Wherever I go, my passport says meditation teacher, so where I, I'm often stopped in places. And uh, they stop me, like, uh, like you know, this uh, immigration. They stop, and, uh, uh, you know, when you come to America, the immigration is very scary. So they, they don't have, they are like this feelingless people and no feeling, and they say, you come for business or pleasure. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you become very frightened. <laughs> so one day I came, and uh, I was in front of this uh, feelingless person, and everybody gets frightened. I mean, even if you are going for something good or whatever, you, uh, when a person doesn't have feelings, we don't know how to deal with that. So uh, there was a girl in the counter, and she said... Uh, uh, you come here, what's the purpose of your visit? So I said, uh, well, I'm coming to... Then she saw meditation teacher. And then she said, 
Oh, you're a meditation teacher. Now she, she, she became a human being. <laughs> so today, yes, everybody wants to know, want to learn meditation because, uh, and of course she kept on talking, you know, she, she went on to say, uh, do you know this particular teacher? I said, uh, well, I teach with uh, that teacher sometimes. Oh, wow. And then she says, um, uh, actually in India, sometimes uh, immigration man stopped me and he said, can I ask a question? <laughs> a Dhamma question, a meditation question. So these type of things happen because it's becoming very, very uh, acceptable today. And a lot of people want to know it. Why? Why do we want to know this? Because we know the answer for everything is there. We know that. That's the. That's why we are here, not because of anything else. There was a, uh, a yogi from Netherlands who came to Sri Lanka, and I was driving her around, uh, and uh, when at one point her mother called uh, this yogi. She has done only few retreats with me. Before that, she didn't know anything about meditation. And when the mother called, uh, she was talking to the mother and she said, Mama, you must come for this retreat. This is the answer for everything. Mama, this is the answer for everything. And when I, I was driving, my, when I heard those words, my hair stood on end. I thought, you know, how much happy my teacher Bhante Gunaratna would be to hear that. A person coming few few retreats ago, she was having these horrible nightmares. Horrible nightmares. And she couldn't sleep. And uh, she benefited so much from practice of meditation. And mother also came uh, to one of our retreats. This is the answer for everything. That's why we are here to find that answer. Because we know, we know, we have this feeling that the answer is in the mind. And meditation has something to do with the mind. So we figure this out. There is a way to... Understanding meditation is not like any other academic studies. Any other academic studies where you take something and you comprehend it, you learn it. That's a bit external, our studies. But meditation is totally different. It's a different way of learning. So most of you who have meditated here might know this. It's totally different. Otherwise what we need to do is we have to just program ourselves with some information. It doesn't happen that way. When I was a little boy, I understood this. In the 70s in uh, Sri Lanka, I was, uh, um, my uh, teacher at that time was uh, uh, Anagarika Acharya Munindra of India. Does anybody know him? Munindraji? Yeah, good. Uh, most of the senior yogis would know. Uh, most of the senior teachers today in the world, the, their first teacher was Munindraji. Wonderful human being. 
He's an Indian man, small Indian man, wearing a Nehru cap and all in white, ten precept yogi. Um, and when you meet him, these type of teachers are less today, but his embodiment of the Dhamma. Just seeing him is like listening to a Dhamma talk. If, if you go and meet him, anybody, he looks around to give you something. And he wants to give. No? It's a, it's a wonderful quality. Like today, people look around to get something. No? We, we look around to get connections. Oh, where are you from? What do you do? You know? Everything we get, 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 get today. That's a mentality. But we don't have people like that to see, to give to our generations hereafter, to teach. So he was like this. So he didn't have any money, but people go and give him everything because he like, they know that he wants to give. So they give big bags of chocolate, big bag of toffees. So he's very happy. And with a grin, everybody coming, come, come, come. So I was a little boy. I used to love to go to Manindraji. Because I wanted those uh, to go and I liked him, I learned a lot of things from him. So, <clears throat> one day, I remember, I went to Munidraji <coughs> uh, was staying at our house. We had, we were, we had a big house in top of a mountain and uh, a lot of people come there, Joseph Goldstein and Salzburg, they come for retreats. Uh, they were young at that time and they were students from Monidriji and learning and we used to have a, a retreat in our house. So Monidriji uh, stays in the house and we cook for him every day. One day we had these uh, people coming from Colombo from the city and they said don't cook we will bring this special food for the Indian guru so that day we didn't cook so I was a little little boy running around and um, so quiet in the uh, kitchen so I run into the kitchen everyone is quiet resting and then we get a telephone call these people said the vehicle has bro- broken down, the tire, the, uh, they have to replace the tires. And by the time they come back, it will be 2 o'clock. Now, Munindraji finishes his meal, has his meal before 12. So he has one meal a day. So if he doesn't have this meal, he's not going to have any meal at all. There was commotion in the, fam- in the house. Everyone was running around like headless chicken. Right? And asking, what shall we do now? Maybe we send this boy to the shop and we get some stuff and we'll cook for only for the Manindraji and we wait for the food and a lot of stuff. I was like a little boy looking at all this. And I saw the commotion that happened in Edats. And then I, little children sometimes like to go and carry tails so, to see what happens. I don't know, I was like that. <laughs> I, I liked to see what happened. So I, run to Munindraji's room and I said, Munindraji, Munindraji, the people from Kalamba who's going to come, their vehicle has broken down, their tire has to be changed, they won't be able to come before two o'clock, so you're not going to have your food. <laughs> and I look at him. So Munindraji 
said, oh, it's not disturbed, this man. He said, oh, is that so? Then I again reiterate, I said, uh, before 12 o'clock the food is not going to come and you are not going to have your food. <laughs> then Munindraji said, are you sure? Yes. Then he turned, then something remarkable happened. He turned to his table and he got an avocado because the previous day I just to show him that I can climb the avocado tree I picked a unripe avocado and gave him so he took this avocado I don't know unripe avocados you can't eat it's not tasty at all it's not the avocado that you love right when you eat that your lips get numb and you can't eat anything for about another hour or so so it's horrible so he took this avocado, unripe, and he opened his Swiss pen knife and he cut it into wedges. And he first offered me. I said, I thought this was a trick. I said, oh no, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> so he took this avocado. This is, a, this is a remarkable thing. He took this piece of avocado and he started eating this avocado as this was the most delicious meal that he has ever eaten in his life. With so much respect, so much gratitude, he started eating. And for me as a little boy, looking at that, that was my first lesson on contentment. Contentment that we find so difficult to find in our lives. The whole world today is like this because there's no contentment we have everything in our lives but we are not happy right? so everything but we still search so that is the that's the way to see the dhamma that's the way to see the meditation practice in practice that's the way to see there's a different type of a seeing do you understand so later on these people somehow came. They came with the food and by uh, Munindraji taught the Dhamma and after that he left uh, before leaving. The father and there was two sons. They offered this Munindraji something very beautiful. It was a little Buddha uh, sitting in front of a beautiful little Bodhi tree. It was golden in color. It's so beautiful. In 70s in Sri Lanka, we didn't have, you know, the toys and iPods and games, Game Boys and all this stuff that our kids have now. Nothing. Not even television. Not even black and white television at that time. So seeing this, was this was like so beautiful. It was like something coming down from the heavenly realms. I was just looking at it and I saw how much with respect this pay, the father and the sons gave it to Munindraji and with how much respect he received it. And little while later I ran into, once he left, I ran into his room again and to see he has kept it up on a shelf. So I look at it and I said, Munindraji, that looks very nice. Then he said, do you think so? And he went and brought this down and uh, so that I can see it better, I thought. But no, he said, do you like it? 
I said, yes. Then he said, then it's yours. And he offered to me with the same respect that he was offered to. Now something happened at that time. As soon as he gave me that, I saw him very happy. Very happy and grinning. You know, he was giving, giving me. As soon as I got it, I was in, you know, what am I to do with this anyway? <laughs> you know, I can't play cricket with this. Or, you know. <laughs> so I was holding and then I thought, now my parents are going to say, child, did you pester him for that? Did you ask him to give you this to you? Now a lot of problems came to me. Just because of this, you know, desire, wanting. And he's free. <laughs> this is what happened. This is the nature of the desire. This is the nature of when you get, you don't get happy. When you give, you get happy. So in Buddha's mathematics, plus, plus is a minus. Uh, minus. And a minus, minus is a plus. Not the other way around. So we collect, we collect, we collect. Suffering. So, when we lose something, we are afraid. As soon as we buy, get something, we are afraid that we lose it. Because of that attachment. So we have to, that's why all this, we have to protect ourselves. We go into relationships and we want to, we are so afraid. The whole world that we develop, build, is like that. So, seeing and holding the Dhamma, we have to hold the Dhamma like this. If you take this Dhamma like that, we have, I believe that we don't need, today we have so much of information on the Dhamma. You may have heard, how many Dhamma talks have you heard? So much. How many are you enlightened? So we know enough Dhamma to get enlightened 20-30 times over. But it is not, it's the reason is that we don't apply it, we don't see it in that light. So that is why this is very important to understand Dhamma, see the Dhamma in this way. So, <clears throat> understanding the Dhamma, uh, I also like to talk a little bit about uh, The, the theory and the practice and how it uh, all falls into place. There's a beautiful uh, verse in uh, what Buddha said. He said, Sunata Dharet Charat Dhammi. The number one, the first thing is Sunata, Dhammang Sunata. That means listening. Sunata means hearing. Right? So, First, you have to hear. Without hearing, you can't get enlightened. Right? First one is hearing. So that's why it's very important to this uh, taking in the Dhamma. You have to understand it without any uh, selfish motive. Because with Dhamma, some of the senior yogis here would know that with Dhamma, we develop a spiritual ego. 
and sometimes this can be some people have the spiritual ego so much they know I know and it's very difficult to get it out after that it becomes a block itself so listening with the stillness the calmness the uh, and seeing this with this penetrative thing so that's sunate is the first one second one is dharete taking it in to you dharete and third one is charate dhammi and traverse in the dhamma live a very beautiful verse sunate dharete charate dhammi okay so the absorbing it into you is practice of meditation so listen reflect and practice in meditation and live become an embodiment i always say before you practice meditation or dhamma you have to be a good human being you can't be a just a, a bad human being and just try practice meditation uh so being good human being uh is the beginning and being a good human being is the mid- middle of the practice is practicing to be a good human being and when we become enlightened we become a perfect human being so it's just being good in that sense so if you are a meditation practitioner you have to have it has to be seen from outside there's a story of my friend uh, uh, dhammika i tell about him uh, everywhere uh, you might know him dhammika amrapun <laughs> he told me this story uh, 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 about his grandmother how the grandmother meditates uh, and he tells me uh, dhammaruan you meditate this was in way back in school when i was uh, um, Uh, in school in high school and this my friend dhammika he comes to me and he says dhammaru and you meditate uh, i said yes so my my grandmother also meditates she does metta meditation and uh, she is the most wicked person on earth <laughs> <laughs> i have full permission from dhammika to say this right so he said it's all right because <laughs> so he said she is the most wicked person on earth she is so cruel to the uh, the uh, domestic people who help there's a boy who's helping around very cruel but she meditates then uh, she said is that meditation right so i i, I said i don't know so he said because what she, uh, when she meditates metta meditation she sits and meditates for some time when everybody is away very quietly and then suddenly she opens up opens her eyes and she says i heard there was a coconut leaf which fell down in the garden someone will steal that you fool go and run and get it get it for me and scolds this boy little while later goes and then she returns back to her metta little while later she comes up again opens her eyes and scolds the boy again saying there is my jacket or the dress on the line 
someone will steal that. Go run and bring it in. So this boy doesn't have any peace because of a metta. <laughs> so she, he is terrified when he goes to meditation. <laughs> because all this stuff comes up and this boy gets colder. So he asked me whether this is right metta. This, this meditation, is that what happens? So Dhammika asked me. So you have to uh, be a good human being. Just because we, we retreat into meditation and then rest of our lives, if we are just exhibiting uh, unmindful uh, aversion, uh, excessive greed, what's the purpose of meditation? That whole hour of meditation, we haven't got iota of wisdom. It's just wandering mind. So, make a determination to be a good human being. That's what's important. Good human being, caring person. Because today we are so disconnected. With I, I travel all over the world, so I meet everybody. One thing I find is we are so disconnected with our hearts. We can't feel anymore. When we were young, we could feel, but today, today the to say the word heart is corny. To say the word love is corny. To say the word care is corny. And to say the four-letter F word is cool. It's good. Tell your mind, you know, whatever you feel. Being arrogant. Good. Look after yourself. We lead a world full of fake people. We are like feelingless fake people, like dead people, like in zombie movies. <laughs> yeah. So that is, that's what has happened to us today. So meditation practice, we try to reconnect with our hearts. We try to feel again. There was a friend of mine. You know, all of you might have a friend like this. Back in school days, you might have had a friend, uh, he or she is one of those people who always laugh and smile and everybody is happy with them. I don't know, for no reason, they are always smiling. So you like to hang out with them because they are telling jokes all the time. So I met this uh, friend after many, many years. When I was 30, I met him. And I was so happy to meet him because being with him is happy. So I met him and he said, uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well. I've uh, got married. I have children. I have a big job. and big. I built a house and doing well. Uh, and... He, later on he said, he came and sat in front of me and he said, Dhammarun, I have to tell you something. So I said, what, what do you want to tell? He said, I can't smile anymore. Then I said, of course you can smile. Then this, he was very serious. So I said, okay, let's sit. Smile, I said. So he smiled. I said, there you go, beautiful smile. But then he said, no. Although you see that I'm smiling, I'm not really smiling. 
I just can't smile. I don't know how to do it anymore. Right? So that disconnect, but how did this happen to us? With all our, you know, intelligence, figuring out things, controlling life, disconnected. And we are searching for happiness, joy, somewhere else. When the disconnection is here, we are trying to fix problems, we go to therapy and we just fix the storyline. But storyline will go off maybe with therapy, again another storyline will come. Or it will get replaced after several months. Disconnection goes on here. So, we can't feel. We can't even... The sky was much blue when we were young. Not because our eyesight has gone bad. We can't feel that. So how to bring that is what you get through practice of meditation. With Through practice of meditation we learn the art of coming back, coming back home to your heart. That's what meditation means. Leave alone enlightenment. If we can do that, that's enough. For the rest of our life we'll be happy. Right? Buddha, when Buddha met somebody, Buddha asked, are you happy? That's the purpose of the Dhamma. This purpose of practice is to be happy. Isn't that so? Not to run after a philosophy. Dhamma is a very powerful philosophy. But not to run after that. To make some meaning of our life, make a purpose of our life, find the purpose. This is the purpose of practice. And this you will get if you really practice meditation. You come to find that. So friends, the, you have to understand theory. Theory is important. But not to develop our ego with the theory. But feel all the time. Feel the Dhamma. See See the way that, as a little boy, how I saw those things. With when Munindraji, when he gave me that uh, this thing, I learnt about everything I learnt to need to learn about the dana. Everything I learnt to need uh, need to learn about giving and holding on. Maybe I didn't comprehend as much as now, but that experience, because I was open to that experience. I just looked at him, that, that's teaching. Teaching is not found in books. Teaching is found in people, people's hearts, not disconnected hearts. Okay? What's the use of a cell phone without any connection? Useless. Maybe not now with uh, iPhones. You can do many things, but, you know, like that, no connection. What's the use of, you know, it's connection has to happen. It's very important. So, <coughs> if we take uh, our 
practice only on to one side, only on to theory, and think that that will bring, and not practice, this will bring us peace and tranquility, uh, stillness, that will not happen that way. If you take only, pra- only practice only, that will also not help. You have to have a good combination of these two. Because with theory, there can develop a lot of ego. So you have to keep a tab of your ego. Right? With the ego comes arrogance. I know. Like that. A lot of arrogance. Today I see a lot of arrogance in, in the world. So be sensitive to the arrogance around you. And see, be sensitive to the arrogance that's happening in your heart. And let go of what is not wholesome. Meditation means, when you open a book on meditation today, one book says meditation is art of letting go. Another book says meditation is to develop. Or two different things. Is it to develop or to let go? So both of these things are right. One, on one hand, you must let go. The other hand, you have to develop. So bhavana, the word bhavana means, bhaveti means to develop. So you must know with wisdom what to develop and what to let go. Not let go of everything. If you let go of everything, you stand like this. You can't, you can't move. This is like climbing a ladder. You know, you, hung, you hang on to one rung of the ladder and the one that you are hanging on to now with all the effort, at one point you have to let go. If you don't let go, you get stuck in the same place. Meditation is like that. It's just letting go. So what is this? What do you hold on to? You hold on to kusala. Kusala is skill. When Buddha, those of you who have read, you know, Buddha went uh, in Arya Pariyasana Sutta. Uh, Buddha, before he became the Buddha, he went on search. Do you remember what that search was called? King Kusala Gavesi. What is Kusala? That's what he searched. And he found Nibbana. Okay, so uh, knowing how to balance these two, the theory and the practice, is very important. Otherwise, the spiritual uh, ego can develop. At the Buddha's time, there's a, there was a monk called Potila. Does anybody know this story? Hmm? There was a monk called Bhotila and he was a very powerful teacher. He was, he was able to give brilliant Dhamma talks. He was very famous. Uh, however, this monk, although he was, uh, he, he was his teachers of Arahantas, of enlightened beings, because he knew so much theory, but he didn't practice at all. So there was no peace in his mind. He gets angry at times. 
So, no patience, no forgiveness. So, uh, but he had a lot of ego. When when Venerable Portilla comes to give a Dhamma talk, thousands of people come. So, uh, his, his, his CV says, uh, teacher of this Arahanta, that Arahanta, this enlightened being, that enlightened being. So, very powerful person. So, one day, he comes to the Buddha. Buddha was giving a talk. And he comes to the Buddha and he pays respect and he sits on the special seat. So, before he comes to pay respect, uh, before he sits down, Buddha, he comes to the Buddha, pays respect and Buddha says, Sukihotu, may you be well, empty potila, tucha potila. He said, empty. And he couldn't, hear, he couldn't believe his ears when Buddha said, may you be happy, empty potila. So he was really shaken up because the, all what he had in his life like for a rich man, all what he has is wealth. For him, all what he had was filled with knowledge. And for Buddha to call him empty potila, it really shook him. And he uh, bent and sat. And this, the whole Dhamma talk, he couldn't hear anything, but he heard this word tucha potila, empty potila. And after that, he comes and pays respect to the Buddha to say, goodbye. And Buddha again says, now everybody can hear. So Buddha again says, okay, be gone, may you be happy, empty potila. <laughs> he says it loud so that people can hear. So now this guy is sweating and he's upset and he's, uh, so little, little, little monks, you know, running around, tucha potila, tucha potila, <laughs> making fun of him. So now he's really, really uh, upset and sad, so he goes into his room, and but he's an intelligent man. He thought Buddha is right. You know, I teach, I do all this, but I get angry any moment. I can, I can't forgive people, and that's a wonderful thing, friends. You know, like whatever we pretend to be, we know our level of meditation practice. We don't need to ask a teacher, and where am I right now? Enlightened? Not? We don't need to ask that. <laughs> we know. We know where we stand. We know our minds. Right? So, he thought, Buddha is right. I must change my life. I must go and get out of this horrible state. And then he went, but still his ego was very high. So he found the best meditation center, best uh, place. So he checked which one is the best one for me. And then he found the best where a lot of Arahantas go to. So his uh, you know, title will be not, uh, he didn't want to go to a small place. So he goes there, talks with the top monk and says, uh, Bhante, I want to get enlightened. So can you teach me? So then those people are Arahantas. So enlightened beings, they know what goes in his mind. So they know that you can't teach this guy because he's filled with ego. There's a thick barrier of ego that you have to penetrate. So he's not ready. So what did 
but did uh, they say they said I'm a little bit busy now just try the next monk so he went to the next monk and said can I do this he says I'm a little bit busy try the next one so he goes to the last monk he doesn't help he goes to another center and keeps on going 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 and at the end he ends up in front of a seven year old enlightened being a boy right of course he's enlightened but still he has his boyish ways so he's vante now he said oh please vante now he's very tired can you please give me a meditation object and teach me meditation can you do this then he said yes i can do that uh but not like this because by that time now his ego has really come down so he said you have to uh he looked around and he saw a big puddle of mud dirt you know pond he said jump into that mud pond then he said what jump into the pond if you want to get in line so then he said oh all right you know and he jumped into the pond and he said not like that you have to kneel on the pond and put put your hands together and ask for uh, this thing. so he this great portilla monk uh, on the mud knelt and from a 7 year old uh, boy he said please give me some meditation object and then he gave the meditation object and because his practice is uh, he has developed so much intellectually about the dhamma in the pond kneeling then and there he attained full enlightenment because he has done the rest to understanding part is done so he got fully enlightened there but what he needed to do was to let go of that that ego because we are always we have this if the beautiful there in pali the word for ego is it's not this ego that we study in the like the super ego and not that uh it's called mana and mana is a very nice word because uh, the sri lankans would know this that uh, we have ushnatomane right Ma- and anything we measure is called mana the thermometer the mana part comes at the end measure so it is measure so do we measure we measure all the time we look at somebody we measure the person within a split second we know whether this person is my caliber person fits into my education my upbringing my social status or lower or higher right we immediately know that we also we know as soon as we see a person i like this person or dislike this person an aversion that's where metta comes into play all right so this there is a meter like that going up and down up and down it's stressful going through that that's why in metta meditation you artificially bring this meter up you bring it up say all are my friends then that gives enormous release of all this uh, stress 
Because all the time, most of the time we think everybody is out to get you. No one is out to get you. They are worried about themselves. <laughs> That's the truth. If you go somewhere and you are thinking, am I looking good? Am I, you know, all right? Will I be exposed? So fear. No one is out to get you. They are always thinking about themselves. That's the reality. But we create a world which is totally not there because of our perception. We perceive things and we hold on to our perception. Do you know how, our, how we hold on to our perception? They control our lives. And often these perceptions are really, really wrong. It's not truth. I have been in my life, I have been many times uh, gone, um, you know, fooled by perception and holding on to them. And uh, I can tell you something, when I, about uh, few, many years ago, I used to travel a lot to, uh, travel a lot and come home only for about, uh, uh, travel about two to three months abroad and come home, uh, partly practicing meditation and uh, learning with my teacher and then I come home for... Uh, so some time, and my son, uh, he he was about now he's sixteen, but uh, at that time he was uh, about eight years old. So I come home after uh, some time, and he he comes and he hangs around me, and I'm working with with my computer. Um, so he comes and he looks at me, and looks at the computer, looks at me, and then he says. Uh, uh, this time I was I became a monk. Uh, I became I took temporary ordination and I came home. So he says, "Dad, uh, why did you become a monk?" Then I said, "Well, that's part of my training, and being a monk is a great thing because you're a full-time meditator. You don't when you are a layman, you meditate a little, and then again you forget. But that's full-time practice." So I wanted to do that. Uh, so does that mean that you will, you will become a permanent monk? Then I said, yes, I might become permanent monk also. And then he said, does that mean you have to leave me? Can I come with you? Then I said, no, you can't come. I have to uh, go alone and because that's a thing that you do alone. And each time I said that, he became sadder and sadder. And I didn't notice that. And I felt so... Sorry, because he was now asking, uh, if, you, if you become a monk, does that mean you leave me, you leave my sister, and you leave mama, everybody? Then I said, yes, I mean, you can't take everybody if you become a monk. And now I am feeling so sorry, and I am also feeling sad, he is also feeling sad. And finally, I said, son, don't worry. Uh, I will not become a monk, right? I won't become a monk. And when I said that, he felt, he looked even more sad. <laughs> and he sent to me and said, Dad, it's okay. If you want to become a monk, you become a monk. 
that's what you like. No? Then I said, uh, now it's going back and forth. I said, okay, then I'll become a monk. Right? <laughs> then, I, then he said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. Then he said, then if you become a monk, can I have your laptop? <laughs> this guy was after the laptop all the time. <laughs> I thought, my perception was that I am feeling sad, he's sad for me, you know. <laughs> but he had a different world. He wanted to get my laptop and play Batman game in that Spider-Man game. That was his thing. So mostly in our life, we meet people and we think, we perceive them the way we want to perceive. We, we perceive situations the way we want to perceive. But that's not reality. That's not real. So in practice of meditation also, you have to be, you have to be very watchful of your mind. Mind is very tricky. Mind goes wherever it wants, wherever it pleases. It stops wherever it wants. But Buddha compares the mind to a wild elephant. Don't know whether you have seen wild elephants. Scary. When they are wild and angry. And also, when they, if a wild elephant wants to come, he comes just straight through. He wouldn't come and, you know, go through the door, turn here, <laughs> look around, you know. <laughs> Doesn't do that. He walks through. Our mind is also like that. Outwardly, we are very polite. We are kind. How are you? Like we talk like that. But inside, we do whatever we want. We don't care. We are like wild elephants. So Buddha says, Idam pure chitta machari charikang yenichakang yattakamang yatatsukang tajaggahan niggahisami yoniso hattippabinnang viyankusaggaho This mind was like a wild elephant traveling, going wherever it wants to go, stopping and doing whatever it wants to do. And now I have tamed this wild elephant just like the mahout with the hook taming this huge animal I have tamed this uh, wild elephant with the hook of what? Huh? Anyone? You? Hook of mindfulness right? So that's what it brings with mindfulness we can tame this mind this wild mind. Because we know that this wild mind doesn't give us any any uh, happiness. It, it hurts us, it hurts others. We look at, a lot of yogis come and they past problems come into their future, childhood stuff. Thereafter, then relationship problems. All these things Something we have either done to others or others have done to us. So it keeps on going. Because of this wild elephant. If it's tamed, if our mind was, if mind has this mindfulness, if we had to repeat all those things once again, we would not do those mistakes. We would know how to avoid those problems. We can't do it because of 
mindfulness is what what happens if we can be mindful from here onwards be alert be clear you will do the right thing because i very 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 strongly believe fundamental nature of human being is goodness that's fundamental nature is goodness i very strongly believe this so it's artificially we create these other things remember i came several years ago to america and at that time there was this 911 happening and there was some of those people in the planes got the chance to call their families what did they say they said they called the family and they said honey i love you they did not say that they are going to die they did not say that they are they did not want even the husband or the wife to feel sad about them they didn't want to hurt them even little bit but they just wanted to say what's really in their hearts they said i love you but do we say that do we feel that we don't do that none of those people call their boss and said sir i love the job none of them said that but that's what we do every day we say we love the job we love the project we are caught up with the project right we we love the organization the company company is a dangerous animal it doesn't have a heart it ejects you anytime doesn't care but we give we sacrifice love of our children to family everything for something which is not there because of our desire because of our greed so fundamental nature of human being is goodness all of you would do the same thing if it happened to you if you had to call your husband your wife you will never say i'm going to crash now i'm going to die now because you don't want to hurt you would say i love you <coughs> that's the human nature so why do we want to postpone this till the last moment when we die it will be too late life is too short life is very very short i don't have a clue what happened in my 20s 30 just been like that now we hear we hear about mm, alzheimer's dementia a lot i never heard it when i was young why do we hear because we are coming close to that not because there was no alzheimer's and no this in, at that time we didn't hear it at that time my kids don't hear it now when i say even if you go near and say alzheimer's they can't hear oh yeah right they would say no it doesn't work that way now we we feel it because we hear it because we are coming close to death when you come close to the ocean you smell the ocean that's what's happening to us now so precious time precious little time have a meaningful life what's the purpose of our life right and connect all that to meditation do not get meditation as a external thing that we that we 
uh, do separate like jogging, like yoga. Meditation is not like that. Meditation is your life. Right? And that peace will come back. Whatever you have done in your past does not matter. Do not harp and think about those. It's, it's what we often do is something dirty that happened, we bring it to the present moment and worry about it. What happened in the past? Imagine you are walking in the... You are going for a jog and something gets stuck on your foot. Why do you want to bring that and preserve that and remember that and look at it all the time? <laughs> you don't need. Present moment is wonderful. Present moment is the... Now, right now, you are the most important person in my life. All of you. Whenever I look at you, you are the most important person in my life. Not my son that I left back home, whom I love very much. Life is now. Live in this moment. Live like that, not in theory. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Not that way. Now. And then your humanness will come out with that. Whatever happened, it's okay. Don't worry. When you bring that dirt here, you are afraid to go for a jog now because you will get more dirt. So you're thinking about future. So, Buddha said this beautiful verse uh, in Dhammapada, Natti papang katang kamang kusale na pitiyati soimang lokang pabahaseti Whatever the unskillful things that we have done in the past will darken our lives. Just like all of us might have gone through those dark periods in our lives. So, and then, with kusala, with skillfulness, this darkness will dispel. And you can shine once more. Just like what? He says, Abha Mutto Chandima. Just like the full moon being freed from the dark clouds. And you can, that shine can once more come back to your life. That is the purpose of our teaching. And that's the purpose why you are practicing meditation. I don't know whether you have seen it. When you go into the dark, and you see clouds separating and the moon coming out. It's very beautiful to see. It's become brighter, 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 brighter. And the whole, every, every, the valleys, everywhere becomes lit up. So when you find your uh, peace, happiness and uh, uh, contentment, when you shine, manifestation Natural manifestation is everybody gets illuminated by your light. You don't need to fix and teach. Everybody gets benefit. So practice for that, for the benefit of all living beings. So with that I like to end the talk. I think at 9 o'clock we have to finish. So others I would have loved to talk more and more and more. Thank you.